This morning we're starting a uh, sermon series uh, with the Memorial Day weekend being last weekend, sort of the official start of summer. We're walking through as our summer series um, a, uh, a series called Welcome to the Party that is based on the book of Acts. And I think it's in two weeks we're actually preaching, um, there's a sermon about Acts 2, the ends of Acts 2. Nate is now officially on this morning uh, on the sermon preaching schedule. So get ready, two weeks, man, you're, you're up. Um, great message uh, that you shared with us this morning about what it means to be a generous and growing church. Um, this morning we begin uh, a little bit earlier in the chapter, uh, of chapter two of Acts, uh, to talk about who hosts this party that we're a part of. And, and this, it's interesting, if you ever have the opportunity to get here early, uh, those of us who are involved in leading worship here have the opportunity to get here early and uh, be in the sanctuary. Um, starting at about, it's about 10 after 9 on Sunday morning, uh, people begin to, you know, come in and they have to get their seat, like they have to get their seat. So um, they come here early to make sure they're, they have their spot. And then um, over the next 20 minutes, um, the noise begins to grow. I mean, we have music going in the background, but you can hear conversations swell uh, a little bit over time because people are interacting and talking and checking in on what happened this past week. And um, this morning, it was sort of neat to hear. And I don't know if it was because the Spirit is, is moving in the lives of our young people and we shot, saw that in Profession of Faith this morning or what, but the Spirit was present, present in just sort of... You were louder today than you usually are. There was more conversation. And maybe it's because some of you are on summer break or you got good things going on or maybe you're going on vacation this week and you're really excited and can't wait to, uh, to head out to the lake or the river or wherever you're going. And um, it's just, that's part of the party that we have here. That the church should actually be the best party uh, place in the whole world. The church should be the place that has the most to celebrate. We do, don't we? Right? We have the most to celebrate. We have the most joy. We have the most life. And even being in the same room together, it means that whatever it is that we're going through, we go through with all these crazy, wacky, messed up people that we love so dearly. And that's not something that everybody else has. It's special to the church. That's a gift that God gives us. And so when we gather together in whatever form or fashion, whatever place, it should be a party. In fact, we're having a party at 6 o'clock tonight down here, family game night. Come and be a part of a party that is just revolving around having fun and joy and life together. We'll be in the river house for an hour or two and just have some fun because that's what the church is about. It's celebrating the life, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we spend time in God's word from Acts 2 this morning, let's pray for God's presence and his blessing on our time of learning and growing. Let's pray. Father, meet us through the power of your word as we hear this story of really the beginning of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling among your people. Lord, as we hear this story, may it speak to our hearts and our lives. May there be a fire a fire deep inside of us of the Holy Spirit that swells, that we can celebrate, that we can experience joy, that even in difficult circumstances that many of us go through, that we know, Lord, 
that we are part of your party and you're hosting us and welcoming us and giving us what we need to celebrate together the grace of Jesus Christ. Speak to that today. May I disappear, may you speak your words to us today in a way that is a blessing, is an encouragement, is a challenge, and equips us to go out and live proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. In Christ we pray. Amen. So, um, maybe you know a person like Jackie. Jackie is an old friend of Kristen and I's. Um, I think when Kristen was teaching, Kristen taught first grade for a very long time. When she was teaching, she taught a couple of, of Jackie's kids. And we got to know her and her husband and her family. She has three kids. Um, and they're all grown now. They're much older. But um, when we knew them, we had a couple opportunities to be invited to Jackie's house for a party. And Jackie is the sort of person, and some people do this better than others, Jackie just had the innate gift. Jackie knew how to throw a party. And every year she would host a Halloween party, and there would always be a summertime party that she would have, and there was a couple other things. We, there were graduation parties that we went to that she hosted, and different things that went on um, with her and her family, and there were parties. But every time you went to a Jackie party, like, she just set things up so you had fun. First of all, the food was amazing. And she made it all herself. She's like one of those, um, she, this was a long time ago, but she being like a Pinterest lady, like you, that cult, you know the cult, Pinterest? She was one of those people that would go to places like Pinterest and find all these cool things that she could try in the kitchen for people to eat. And I can remember you went and she had like a hot dog bar at the Halloween party, but it was not like hot dogs with ketchup and mustard. It was hot dogs with like 14 different toppings, some of which you never thought would go onto a hot dog. At least that was before a lot of these things got really, really, um, you know, creative and exciting. And you could just try all these different things with hot dogs. And, and at her other, I remember she had this pasta dish. Actually, it was just pasta with um, bacon and um, basil and some other things, a couple other things in there, pine nuts, I think. But for whatever reason, it was amazing. You go to this party and you have, have this pasta dish and just awesome. But it was more than that. She would have activities for people to do. Little stations over here. Little things, a game that everybody could play or whatever it is that she was, whatever party she was hosting, there was a theme that you would do this or you would do that. And it, every time you went, there were always like 50, 60, 70 people there and you'd have a blast. You know, oh, we got an invitation from Jackie. Absolutely, make time in your schedule. You know you get invitations that you're like, yeah, we got something that night. This was not that sort of thing. You're like, I'm making time to go to Jackie's house because Jackie throws a great party. If you have the right host, parties can be really good. But if you don't, sometimes it can be a little dry. And this morning, we want to talk about a party that was a little dry that changed in a moment because the host showed up. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1? We'll read just the first verse to begin this morning. When the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Now, they were all together means the disciples. And if you look back, you see in chapter one of Acts, they selected a disciple to replace Judas the betrayer. So we have the 12 disciples. We also, there's probably some others, hangers on, followers of Jesus in the place as well. Okay, so there's, there's probably a group, maybe 20 or 30, because, um, you know, the disciples are the center of that thing, but there were always people who were around Jesus. But the problem is that they're not really sure what to do next. Because Good Friday happened, they watched their rabbi, they watched Jesus get, get crucified, Easter happens, so they experience the resurrection. But then at the beginning of the book of Acts, we also see the ascension. So Jesus is no longer with them. Now, these had, the disciples had been three years with Jesus. They'd been with their rabbi. He's been teaching them, telling them where to go, what it is that they should do. If they were going to get sent out, they were going to get sent out by Jesus. If they were going to do this, they were going to be told to do it by Jesus. But now Jesus is gone because he's ascended to be, go back with the fa uh, father. And so they're not sure. What do we do? They're starting to get it together because they made the selection of the new disciple. And they are probably talking and having conversation about what it is that they were supposed to do. But they weren't really, really sure. Now, a quick moment. We think that Pentecost is simply a New Testament word, right? It's the 50 days after Jesus resurrected where the Spirit was poured out. We think that that is in terms of simply a, a New Testament thing. This is, this is the first Pentecost. It's actually not. Pentecost is an Old Testament thing. It's connected deeply to the festival of weeks. How many of you are experts on the festival of weeks? Very few. Okay, really quick, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. So Leviticus is right at the beginning of the scriptures, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 23. And I'm going to give you, this is conjecture, okay? This is not like, hey, some theologian is for sure on this. This is something that, you know, everyone knew about. Festival of Weeks, it's an, it's an Old Testament thing, um, but, but it's, this is, some, this is just something interesting I want to share with you. If you look at the festival of weeks, it involves all these offerings, right? It also involves all these animals. I want you to keep track with me how many animals they are, okay? So you do, uh, starting at verse 15, you, you brought a sheaf of wave offering and then you count off seven full weeks. So that's where the 50 days comes from, Pentecost. Count off 50 days up to the day of the seventh Sabbath and present an offering of new grain. And then you have to bring loaves and two tenths of an ephah and you're offering first fruits. And then you present this bread with how many male goats or male lambs? Seven male lambs. Then you got to add in what next? What animal? One young bull. That's how many? Eight. Eight animals. Then you got to add how many rams? Two. How many total? Ten. Okay. But then you got to keep going a little bit. You got grain offerings and drink, drink offering, a food offering. And then you have to sacrifice what in verse 19? You have to sacrifice a why for a 
sin offering. And then you have to, how many is that now? What are we up to? 11. Then you have to add in two lambs. How many total we got? 13. Here's conjecture. Something interesting. Why would God connect Pentecost in the New Testament with the Old Testament? Well, 13. How many disciples were there? 12. Wait, hold on. There were 13, right? Because you have to take away Judas and then you add Matthias, chapter 1. 13 disciples. And one of them, or one of the animals is a goat. What happens to the goat? It's a sin offering. Judas. Judas, the sin offering. The betrayer. Then you have two lambs. James and John. But you also have one bull. Sound familiar? Peter. One bull, two lambs, James and John, and you have a sin offering. Already in the Old Testament, God is beginning to echo that he's preparing the way for his coming. And how does his way come? It comes through his disciples living together in the relationship that God has designed and living for them to be the things that he designed them to be. He designed Peter to be a bull. He designed James and John to be lambs. He designed, unfortunately, and the challenges, of course, he designed Judas to be a sin offering in his betrayal. God is connecting Pentecost and the festival of weeks because something big is about to happen when God shows up. What is it? Verses two through four say this. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, it's important, some of the components here for us to understand. We have some things happen. The room gets filled. What does it get filled with? It gets filled with sound and it gets filled with wind. All of a sudden, this stuff, this, 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 the, the setting changes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Again, Old Testament. Let's look back there. Exodus 19. Real quick. When you get there, Someone yell out what happens in Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. What happens in Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19? What is it? It's the giving of the law. God is showing up. And God, when he shows up, shows up with wind and with sound and it's big. It changes things. Because when God shows up, when the host shows up, he makes his presence known in a powerful way. And that's what's happening here in the Pentecost story of Acts 2. God is not doing it for the whole nation of Israel. He's starting smaller with these group of people who are gathered together in this room who are not sure of the direction that they should go. Echoes of the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. 
They're not sure what it is that they're supposed to do next. So God has to do what Jesus did for them as his rabbi. God has to be present to give them the direction that they need. The host shows up and the party changes instantly. Instead of it being, you know, and maybe you've been to this sort of party. Oh, well, thinking about bringing out new appetizers because this ain't going well. Or what are we supposed to, is there games? You know, is there other people coming because this is pretty dry? All of a sudden, it changes to like, this is the best time ever. This is the best party ever. This is the best experience ever because the Holy Spirit is here. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it consumes them. The tongues of fire that show up along each of them. And there's power. And the party changes significantly because the host is present. I had not, of course, not the same sort of experience, but it was close. Years and years ago, um, one of those tragic stories, a junior in high school, boy, well-liked, well-liked kid in the community that I was a part of, um, died in a drowning accident. Uh, Really sad story. There was actually, they were out swimming and they were swimming in drainage ditches in the Central Valley and they can be really dangerous when their water's flowing real fast. A girl fell in and was in trouble and he jumped in to help her. She ended up being okay, but he died in the process. Just one of those really, really sad stories. And the entire community was gathered together for memorial time. And it wasn't the funeral. The funeral was later. This was more or less just a group of high school kids coming together to try to figure out what this was all about. Try to process feelings. Try to wonder what was going on um, with John's death. His name is John. And I was hosting the that particular gathering and we had done some different things. We had the praise band um, play some songs. We had some time where um, the dad and mom of John got up. That was very emotional as you can well imagine. Some of their pain was just so deep and, and everyone, it was just one of those things where it was, it, was, it was a moment where we needed to process pain together. And I wasn't really sure because it was one of those things where people were, we were almost ready to be done, but everyone was going to walk home with or or go out to their cars with just this feeling of dread. And there was a moment when everyone's sharing memories and I stand up at the front and I say, is there anyone else who has other memories? Otherwise, I'll bless you folks and you can head home. And this one dude got up. John was a soccer player on uh, the local high school's soccer team and uh, he was a good soccer player Uh, he wasn't a captain but he was close he would have been a captain if he would have been in his senior year and one of the soccer players got up and began to talk a little bit about how much he liked John and John was a good friend and some of the same things that already other kids said but then he said this he goes John was a really good friend but John stank dude stinks like B.O. really really bad And it was funny because all of a sudden people started to laugh. Little giggles, right? Because they all knew it was well known. John Stank. And then he began to talk about on the bus home from soccer games, they would all get in the bus and no one would want to sit near John because John Stank so bad. His B.O. was so bad. And they would make fun of John and John decided to turn that around on them. 
And he would actually stand at the front of the bus at the beginning when everyone was coming on the bus. And he would hug every single soccer player coming onto the bus. He said, if I'm going to stink, then you're going to smell it. Why don't you stink too along with me? And then we'll all be good and we won't even notice it anymore. And he told this story in front of this whole group of kids. And everyone started laughing. And it was like there was this knife that cut the tension in the room. And believe it or not, I believe this to be true. The story of John's body odor was the Holy Spirit's presence in our community that day to tell us it's going to be okay. Because then this guy ended his story saying, John's now a fragrant offering to the Lord. And everyone could share that and be reminded of that and go home with this kid's life that was a fragrant offering to the Lord. It was a powerful moment. That's when the Spirit came in that place. And when the Spirit comes in this place in Acts chapter 2, it's like that's what it does. It cuts the tension. And all of a sudden, things are free. And when they're free, people in the room can't shut up. We're going to see what happens here. It says this. Now there we're, we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, and it's, not, it's unclear, is it the sound of the wind, uh, uh, the sound that filled the room, or is it the sound of the speaking? I think it's the sound of the speaking, but it's a little hard to tell. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So we know they're hearing the disciples speak. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Livia near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So remember, the church until this day doesn't know the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In this moment at Pentecost, the Spirit shows up as promised by Jesus earlier on. And when it shows up, they get a job right away. And their job has two things, two components to it. First of all, they have to speak, right? That's what they do. Right away, the first thing that the Spirit equips them to do is speak, right? But what are they speaking? Look with me again at verse 11. It says this at the end. We hear them declaring what? What is it? The wonders of God. So right from the beginning of the establishment of the church with the Holy Spirit coming, we get their job being to declare the wonders of God. That's first job. But that's not the only job because they have a second one. And the second one is simply this, that they are to declare it to who? Who would they declare it to? Everyone. If you go down this list... If you go down Medes, Parthians, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, you go all the way down, keep going, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome. This is, folks, the known world. 
This is everything that is known. This is, this is all the people because they're here in Israel for one purpose. And that is to celebrate what? The festival of weeks. So you get people from all over the world who come together to celebrate the festival. They gather together in one place. And now all of a sudden, each of them is hearing what? The wonders of God, job one, declared to them in their own language. Two jobs, friends. The church, at the beginning, right from the beginning, job one is to declare the wonders of God and to tell the whole world about him. That's our work. And that still holds today. This is something that all of us need to be a part of. And friends, I am here to challenge you this morning because I know there are some of you who, if I ask you whether or not you have the gift of evangelism, what are you going to tell me? What are you going to tell me? No, I don't. And I think that's a bunch of hooey. In fact, I know it is. Why? Because job one. Job one of every single follower of Jesus Christ is to what? What is it? First one. Declare the wonders of God and to tell it to who? Everyone. Hear me here. Let's say it together. Declare the wonders of God, everyone. Those are your two answers. What's job one? No, no, no. Bring it. Come on. This is oomph. This is the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit's presence. What is it? What's job one? And to who? And whose job is that? Every single one of you. And that's what the church comes together to do. That's why we start today. And you may say, I don't have wonders of God to declare. I can't think of really wonders of God to declare this morning. Reuben, stand up. Where is he? Is he gone? Reuben, stand up. Sarah, stand up. Stephen, stand up. You want to see wonders of God? Bam. There they are. Three kids saying, in light of the world that lives with all the pressures it has on their lives, these three kids saying, I want to follow Jesus. You want to see a wonder of God? You got three of them right there. You got something to say this week, friends. You got something to tell the world this week. Thank you, guys. You have a story to tell, and who do you tell it to? That was Namby Pamby Sissy La La Pom Pom Girl. <laughs> Who do you tell it to? Everyone. Because that's our job. When the Spirit comes, job one and two are to open our mouths and in our celebrations of what the church is all about, to declare the wonders of God and to tell everyone passage closes. Amazed, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, <laughs> they're hammered. That's what they said. Too much wine. And it's absolutely appropriate that the passage ends with those two ideas. Because frankly, friends, that's what the world, how the world responds to the gospel. They either can say, 
this is incredible, but it's so overwhelming, I don't know what to do. I've met many people like that. I wonder that even sometimes for like Amy and and for Brandy and for the hooksters, okay, you're new in this community, you're trying to figure out what it means here. What am I supposed to do? I see God at work. I see God alive in me. What is it that I'm supposed to do next? Maybe these three young people are wondering that same thing. This is incredible. I see something. I'm experiencing something. There's something beautiful and powerful here, but what does it all mean? And there's this desire to explore and understand. That's why welcoming no members is is such a beautiful thing because they're desiring to explore what it is that God is doing in their life. But you know what else you're going to get? You're going to get people say this. You Christians are a bunch of whack jobs. And you can hear that all over the place. You, you can hear it that if you were to go down there to, to Albertsons and if you were to put up a sign, which I don't advocate you do, say, Jesus loves you. Come, let me tell you how. You would have some people who may want to talk to you, but you would probably have some people who would think you were a nut. Because that's the response so often of the world towards the gospel. So right from the beginning, we see that's the story. But there are those who do say, what does this all mean? I'll tell you about an interesting conversation I had yesterday. I wasn't planning on this this morning, but it happened, so I'm going to say it. Um, I was doing what I often do on Saturdays, and that was spending time on the sideline of a, I'm glad you know me well, I like that, soccer field, watching my son Troy play. And um, as often happens in the fields of soccer games, you have conversation on the sidelines, and I hope you do that. I hope you make friends with different people outside this community who, who, you know, who knows? Maybe you can actually, what, job one? What is job one, folks? To who? Including people on the soccer sidelines, okay? And do you have the gift of evangelism? Yeah, you do. And if you say no, then that's a load of hooey. Okay, I'll give you that word, all right? I won't make you fill in that blank. So I'm standing on the sideline. It's not standing. I'm sitting on a lawn chair because I'm lazy. And I'm in the lawn chair watching. And right beside me is this guy named Lee. Lee is like crazy, highly intelligent. He is, uh, he's a, a university professor. He's published some things. He's actually, his specialty is sports psychology. He thinks about what it means to be an athlete and how you shape and form the psychology of young athletes so that they're healthy and well-adjusted, which we actually don't need in our world because all of our professional athletes are really quality people. <clears throat> so he thinks about that stuff. Like I say, he's published a couple books. He was once a professional athlete himself, actually. And we're sitting there talking. I've gotten to know him over the last year or so. And um, he knows what I do for work because we've talked about his vocation. We've talked about my vocation. And for whatever reason, yesterday, we get on this conversation. He's asking me, and his, con- and his whole thing is he's looking at my psychology. He's basically trying to psychoanalyze me on the sidelines, which is sort of fun sometimes. I usually don't like it, but this guy's okay. So we walked that through, and he goes, how do you feel sometimes when people bring their problems to you? And what are some of the stressors in your life? And how do you and your, your spouse, you know, interact around some of these things. So we're talking through all this stuff. And then he goes, actually, you know, I have this other question. And I wonder if you might know the answer to it. Remember who I am. 
those of you know, you remember who I am. He goes, have you ever heard anything about Calvinism and know what it is? No, I know nothing about Calvinism. I'm not interested in it at all. So for the next, literally, it was, he asked me this question at halftime. These are 40-minute halves. For 40 minutes, I got to go through tulip theology, name each of the five items, describe it, and because he's this type of learner, he wanted to know what the catch phrase was for each. So we made some up. Total depravity. Total depravity. You stink. That's a catchphrase. Unconditional election. But God still chooses you. Limited atonement. He chooses some. Some choose to go to hell. Irresistible grace. But you don't know whether or not God has chosen you. Because he loves who he's going to love. And finally, perseverance of the saints. Once you got grace, you never lose it. For 40 minutes. It was a good day yesterday. Because I got to do that. And because there was this, this, this relationship that we had built, and the reality of it is, with this guy, this guy, I couldn't simply say to him, okay, here's the chasm thing. Maybe you've seen that the chasm thing separates you from God, and the only way to cross the chasm is the cross. In the I couldn't have done that with him because he's not that kind of guy. He's going to say, you know what, Scott, that's nice and everything, but I ain't buying it. He needs to talk through some of these things. I'm actually sending him the book, Calvinism in the Las Vegas airport by Richard Mao because we had the conversation and now he's wondering what this stuff is all about. And that wasn't me because the Holy Spirit was hosting that little moment between two lawn chairs over in Norco, better known as the desert of the England Empire. That little spot, the Holy Spirit hosted our gathering. And he gave me the opportunity, and it was him, not me, to speak of his wonder and speak to everybody, including this guy who needed it in this way. Friends, you have those spaces. Maybe your space is the next cubicle over. Maybe your space is the break room at work. Maybe your space is the next na- the neighbor beside you. Maybe that space is even in your own home with your spouse or with your kids or with whatever. But you and I are hosted by the Spirit in this party that we call life. We have the gift of grace and his love. And it's powerful so much so that we should be willing at every moment, in every time, in every place, in lawn chairs, in Norco, in, at Redlands Community Hospital, or on Lagonia Street, or wherever at Albertsons, or wherever it is you are in life. To job one, declare the wonder of God and who you declare it to. By the way, there is going to be a test this week, all right? We're going to get that. Declare the wonder of God and declare the wonders to everyone. One more challenge, real quick. Allow that to shape your conversations this morning as you head down to the fellowship hall for some time afterwards or in the lobby or here in the pew. Maybe one of your questions is, is simply this. 
Where did you see the wonders of God that you can speak of? And who are you going to tell that about this week? My guess is that some of you are scared to have that conversation. But since it's the first job that we were given by the Holy Spirit, maybe it's exactly the type of conversations that we need to have more of to prepare ourselves to go out and live the party out there so that other people can come and join the party with us. Let's pray. Living God, hope of the world, host of this party that we call the church, you've given us your grace. You have given us your Holy Spirit and its power. And you have also given us the task, the task of declaring to the world the wonder of the glories of God, the beauty of who you are, the transformation that we know through who you are in our lives. And you also equip us, Lord, with opportunities to speak. And Lord, may you equip us to that end to speak. And in that speaking, Lord, may we do so um, in confidence that the Holy Spirit that is present in us is bigger than some of the questions that are going to be asked. Is, is That there will be times and moments and places where we, if we have the courage, and if we are willing to have the faith in who you are, to speak of the wonder of the glory of God in a way that that person might hear it in their language. Maybe it's a foreign language, Lord, and you're equipping some of us to that end. Or maybe it's just a different type of cultural conversation. Maybe it's a different type of generational conversation. Maybe it's in saying things in ways that are understandable, Lord. However you are going to do that, Lord, we pray to equip us to that end through your spirit. We might see the beauty of the kingdom of God grow here in this community and in the church everywhere. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.